Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and by Shuerton Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When we talk about somebody being in business, our underlying assumption is that they're in business to make a profit for themselves. That assumption does not always hold true. Admittedly, exceptions are rare, and that's what makes them all the more remarkable. Since moving to New Orleans a decade ago, Mike Cantor has dedicated his career and talents first to the Second Harvester's Food Bank and then to Covenant House, and today Mike is the interim director of Grodat Youth Farm. Grodat Youth Farm is a working farm in City Park. The farm grows and sells over 20,000 pounds of produce a year. Its farmers are, as the name suggests, young people who are getting an agricultural education, learning business skills, and who distribute a percentage of their harvest to people with limited access to fresh food. From Grodat, Mike Cantor, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks so much for having me. Andy Copland is president and CEO of the Greater New Orleans Foundation. Until 2016, Andy was first deputy mayor and chief administrative officer for the city of New Orleans under Mayor Mitch Landrieu. In that capacity, Andy oversaw the day-to-day operations of City Hall. Prior to that, Andy was chief of staff for two very different Louisiana governors, Mike Foster and Kathleen Blanco. In his current capacity, Andy, in the simplest of terms, connects generous people with money to needy people who are short on resources. Specifically, the Greater New Orleans Foundation manages over $275 million in more than 800 funds devoted to charitable, environmental, cultural, and economic development. Greater New Orleans Foundation President and CEO, Andy Copeland, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Now, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Uh, the Grodat Youth Farm was originally donated and built by Tulane City Center. That's a part of Tulane School of Architecture. The farm has been up and running now for over seven years, selling produce, and as I mentioned, a lot of it. <laughs> Most of the farm's produce is sold at your own farm stand and at local farmer's markets. I'd imagine that because your farmers are students, they're not getting paid. That would make your business model the envy of agribusiness uh, everywhere. How does Grodat, in fact, make a profit? And if so, where does the profit go? Well, actually, uh, the students who work at Grodat do get paid. They do. So All right. it is a job opportunity for high school students around the city. And you're not turning them into farmers. You're actually giving them, I guess what we would call them business soft skills, right? Exactly. It's a youth leadership development program that focuses on developing social-emotional learning opportunities for high school students who may not be receiving some of that training in their schools. Did you make this up, or is it being used in other cities? Or uh, Well, it has a, a really fantastic provenance. It's, it's borrowed from... Uh, a lot of different programs around the country. So 30 years ago, the Food Project in Boston started a similar youth leadership program uh, based on sort of the principles of sustainable agriculture. Uh, And then there are other programs around the country, and so we've borrowed different models from a variety of locations, but really made it our own here in New Orleans. Now, Andy, the Greater New Orleans Foundation does an enormous amount of good for our community, 
and we're going to get to the details about that in just a minute. But first, I have to ask you about the most visible aspect of your operation, at least of late, and that's your impressive new building on what is now called Lee Circle. It, it seems on the face of it for an organization dedicated to charity, an incredible uh, undertaking to design and build a brand new building from scratch in a highly desirable location. I'm sure you had many hours of conversation about this internally before putting the deal together and going ahead with the building. So maybe you could briefly walk us through the thinking behind all that. Sure, so the Center for Philanthropy is our brand new headquarters. It opened uh, a year ago and it was money that our board raised for that building. Uh, turns out a couple of things are, are important to know about it. One is it's gonna save us uh, money relative to renting downtown. Okay, that's um, where, but help me out though, that's where the old gas station used to be? Right, yeah, okay. it was the old blighted shell station. So we improved the neighborhood, cleaned up the blight, and then built an environmentally sustainable building. So it's a LEED certified building. It's about 40% more efficient than code requires. But more importantly than that, it's consistent with our urban water uh, program, which is that we can handle a 10 inch rain on site. Give me an example. You earlier, when we were talking, mentioned a, an example of a, a wealthy guy that's since uh, now passed away. Well, there's an interesting story. Um, about nine years ago, we got the biggest gift in the foundation's history. Wow, how much it, was that? And it was about 20 million bucks. Whoa. And it came from a guy, and his, his name was John Mark. So since he left that as a bequest, we've now given out $7 million of grants. Um, the grants that he gives are as eclectic as he was. So <laughs> a lot of his resources go to Catholic charities to help people pay their medical bills. Um, he also uh, set up so that the Audubon Institute, the Police and Justice Foundation, Doctors Without Borders, the SPCA, all of these organizations get a really generous grant every year because of John Mark's legacy. And so we think that that's, a, you know, it's an example uh, for all of us to really consider in, in our region. If all of us just gave a little bit of our estate in a bequest to charity, and, and through the Great New Orleans Foundation, you could pick whichever charities you want. Um, you know, our, our city and our region would be profoundly improved. So somebody could give a, a bequest honoring Grodat. And every year we would send a check to Grodat to keep that wonderful work that you know, Mike I, talked I asked, about um, going Mike, on. Mike was earlier, um, did you get this model from someone else? Because it, it's pretty terrific. Well, I think, I think there's um, chair, uh, community foundations, there are about 700 across the country. Uh, and it's a, it's a model that we started in New Orleans in, in 1983. Our foundation was created. Um, but it is a model that happens all over the country. We're, we're a philanthropy. If you don't have a private foundation, and frankly, we don't think anybody really needs a private foundation with the vehicles for giving that we have, uh, it enables all of our, our fund holders and donors to connect with the causes that they love, as you said at the beginning. And so we help people set up their own funds. We help them set up endowed funds. We hold agency endowments. We raise money for initiatives. And we do some grassroots philanthropy on things like Give Nola Day, where we raised about five million dollars last May, and you know, well, the average the average donation that, right? there was ten dollars. So twenty four percent of those Give Nola Day donations were at the ten dollar level. So we, we have a philanthropic opportunity for everybody across our region. Isn't it funny that sometimes the people that look like they have money don't, and the people that don't look and have it. Well, that's and that's right. And I think that that again, there's a lot of folks. I mean, Louisiana actually is always at the top of the ratings in terms of generosity. As a percentage of income, Louisianans give about as much money away as any people in America. And in America, we're the leading philanthropists in the world. So, Okay, I'm asking, Michael, if, if um, Andy wrote you a big check today, how, how would you use it? 
Uh, well, yeah, we're work? actually in the midst of uh, an expansion of the farm. We're working with City Park to expand our lease. We have a long-term lease for seven acres of the farm right now. We're hoping to expand that to 14 acres. So that would almost double the amount of space that we have available to grow food for the community, which would then allow us to hire more young people to go through the leadership development program because one of our, the core sort of tenets of the program is that we have meaningful work for young people to do on the farm. And so that the number of young people in the program is sort of defined by the amount of, of space and the amount of work that we have available. Do you, do you handpick the people or, do you, or sometimes do you get kids that have some troubles and they need to, uh, I don't know, they need, they need a little leadership and how to work with each other. Well, I would say that everybody needs a little leadership <laughs> development true. training. Uh, and it's specifically, it's focused on social emotional learning. Um, and as I mentioned, we recruit across a, sort of a diverse uh, cohort of young people. We partner with different schools around the city and we really try to create a cohort that is a mix of young folks who have uh, a lot of experience in leadership in their in their communities or in their schools uh, with young folks who have not demonstrated leadership or who are um, even at risk of sort of dropping out of school um, and becoming what are known as opportunity youth folks who uh, are not in school and also not employed. And uh, we try to create that mix because there's so much, it's such a, a rich environment for pure learning to happen, pure learning and mentorship. And so the way that young people come into the program, they're then divided up into crews of about 10 to 12 other crew members or other high school students. And each of those crews is led by two assistant crew leaders who are former graduates of the program oh, okay. and a crew leader who's a, usually a little bit older high school graduate who is really interested in sustainable agriculture or working with young people. Let me just ask you why you got into it. I mean, uh, Mike, you could have done a lot of different things. You're a smart guy. You could be out making a lot of money. What's behind it? Uh, well, this work has been uh, taken a sort of meandering path to it. I was a farm manager on a small farm in New York State after college and was really interested in, in growing food in a new kind of way. And then I moved out to California and did some... Uh, or political organizing for an environmental group. Met my future wife, moved down to New Orleans, as, as you mentioned, spent some time. She from here? She's from Texas originally. Oh, okay, yep. Um, and uh, spent some time doing youth development work at Covenant House and then uh, food advocacy, food security work at uh, Second Harvest Food Bank. And ended up at GrowDat because it really sort of merged a lot of those experiences that I'd had in a way that was uh, working directly with young people. Uh, I'm not an educator um, by training, but I am. You are in real life, though, right? <laughs> well, I, I am a parent, and uh, I've also worked at a number of uh, mission-driven organizations that unfortunately have not sort of, uh, in my perspective, reached their full potential because of sort of antiquated or undeveloped uh, understandings of leadership and how that's actualized in the so organizational culture. business skills in a nonprofit might be the thing that's lacking. Well, and business broadly defined, right? Uh, we're talking about nonprofit as a, a type of business, a type of mission-driven organization, and whether you're in a for-profit business, a nonprofit business, in, in government or, or the academy, I think leadership still plays a really important role in understanding how to connect across difference uh, in a way that um, creates a sort of a collaborative team, mm -hmm. I think is something that uh, every organization could use. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Mike Cantor, Interim Director of the GrowDat Youth Farm, and Andy Coplin, President and CEO of the Greater New Orleans Foundation. And Andy, you know, um, 
I've got to ask you, you know, most people probably think you worked for Goldman Sachs for 10 years and made all kinds of money and then did this. Uh, have you always been on this side of the ledger? No, uh, Peter. Uh, I spent most of my career in, in government. Michael and I have, have a similar um, perspective on it. I wanted to get into government because I saw the potential for government to do you know, great and important things if it was well managed and honestly managed, or in some cases it would do terrible and awful things if it was you know, dishonestly and poorly managed. And so that's where my passion was um, for a long, long time. Uh, at the foundation, we're actually working on the same kind of problems. So the problems of our region are the same ones I was working on from the inside within government. But the big challenges of you know, workforce development, our urban water system, you know, really funding education reform. Those are the kinds of things that I get to do at the foundation. So it's, it's similar work, different hats. Now, Andy, Mike, this is a part of the show we call another great idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. You can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great. Or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice, and, and how did it turn out? Michael? You know, the, it's funny, the first thing that came into my head when you asked that question was not a, a friend, but a, a colorful poster, actually, that was up on the wall in my, I think it was my fourth grade class, and it was right in front of my, my desk, so I saw it every day. And it was one of those silly posters that said something like, uh, 30 years from now, nobody's going to care uh, what kind of shoes you're wearing or what your hair looks like. Uh, uh, what's going to matter is what you've learned and what you've done with it. And that's good enough advice. Um, but it really stuck out to me because uh, just a little while before I started noticing this poster, one of my teachers had made an offhand comment about how uh, um, my hair made me look like um, Kramer from Seinfeld. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden I was worried, spending so much time worrying about he my hair and how great, it... though, so Well, you know, worries. matter of opinion. <laughs> and, um, but what, what this poster sort of gave to me upon reflection is this idea of this sort of generosity of time, which is not something that's easy to come by when you're in elementary school. Wow, that is a, that a profound effect on you. It that did. I still remember it. My gosh. The, uh, hope we find the poster man that yeah, did that. That's exactly. great. What about you, Andy? You know, um, after I finished grad school, my wife said, let's move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so I tell people all the time, they ask me, how did I get to Louisiana? And the answer is love. Yes. So it was her turn to go to grad school. I said, baby, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. <laughs> and so we ended up in, in Baton Rouge. And it was, you know, until the, the move down to New Orleans, um, you know, it was the most profound decision that was not a strategic decision. We didn't know anybody. We had no family here. We kind of liked the place. Right. And, and have had a great, you know, 25 years, um, you know, in this wonderful state. Would you recommend others kind of jump think, into the I pool think, like I that? I think that, you know, there was a chance to, to go, you know, for me, you know, the career move would have been, let's go to Washington, D.C. Right. Right. It wasn't, you know, high. There was nobody else from my graduating class at the Kennedy School of Government in 1992 who was moving to Baton Rouge. But the opportunities, I think, were, were far better in a place like Louisiana to do the kind of good work that you know, we were able to do. And you saw, you came to New Orleans, things looked pretty rotten. When you, uh, when you came, it was really right after the storm you started to work. And you didn't run away, though. You decided that this was a great undertaking. Why? I think there's just the, the chance to to do what's right, which is to rebuild a great city for the world, 
um, for all the people you know who have lived here, who loved the place, you know, who are either Louisianans or New Orleanians or folks from around the world. Um, it's kind of our obligation to to recreate it, and again, I think um, to recreate it better than it ever was. And uh, 12 years from uh, from that date, uh, what do you think? Did it turn out differently than the way you thought? I think I think we've made tremendous progress in so many areas, and so there's been this great renaissance. At the same time, I think it's quite clear that not everybody in our community has participated in that renaissance. That's part and of so course. So we've got to make sure uh, that as we continue to to grow the economy and to make the city. Um, a more prosperous place that everybody is included in that, and that's why some of this, you know, work that that Mike's doing at Grodat, a lot of our our workforce training providers, making sure that folks have good education so that they can participate and be connected uh, to the economic growth that we're seeing. And one thing I was going to mention, Andy, is you're as that that funnel for money. You do something pretty terrific for the donor in that you're trying to maximize their tax break on this, and a lot of people, you know, don't frankly know how to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we really are kind of, you know, a one-stop shop and Amazon.com for philanthropic <laughs> giving. And what we encourage folks to do is set up a fund. So the, the most popular fund for charitable giving is a donor-advised fund. And people will set that up, and then they can go online or they can call us up and say, give a grant to Grodat, give a grant to Out to Lunch and WWNO, and we take care of the paperwork. General manager is writing this down, so, as you so, say. Well, and WWNO is one of our, our grantees, as is Grodat. And, ah. and, and both the, our organization and our fund holders make generous contributions to both organizations regularly. And through the Donor Advised Fund, you can get the maximum tax benefit. And, and so uh, you get a charitable deduction. We send you one letter so it's simple. You don't get 27 different letters from all the different people that you've got to itemize on your taxes. We do all the work for you. But I think most interestingly is... We can accept all kinds of unusual gifts. So, folks, most people give cash. Yeah. Cash is actually the most expensive way to right, give. Right, it is. If you it give away an appreciated, appreciated asset, or appreciated yep. stock, bonds. But we can also, as a public charity, accept real estate, jewelry, you know, closely held companies, uh, a herd of cattle, herd of cattle, a wedding reception. Wow. These are all different Andy things that we've, really we've received. really opened things up for. You know, I took 27 stu students to Omaha, Nebraska to spend the day with Warren Buffett one, uh, in 2008. And that's what he told us in the beginning of his meeting is that now, of course, he gives all his money through Bill Gates. And he said, you know, I'm really good at making money, but I was really lousy at giving it away efficiently. So it's, uh, so if he can't do it right, everybody really ought to. You mentioned 800 funds. Those are probably 800 families or 800 people. Right, yep. right, and, and you know every collection. So, so we have a, a great fund that uh, you know one of our board members was trying to think of what's the perfect gift to give her husband for her birthday, for his birthday, and he's a guy who had everything. So, in honor of him, she called a surprise party, and everybody contributed to creating a scholarship at Xavier University in his honor. And he said it was the, the best gift he'd ever gotten. Um, and so you have families who who set them up for their kids to pass on uh, the philanthropic. Yeah. You know, instinct to right. their children. Um, you have legacies where folks have set up an endowed gift that every year gives money to a particular cause that they loved. And so we're in the business of trying to work with our donors to figure out what it is that they want and you know their what, legacy Mike, to be. And you know what, after this show, I think you're going to do better. I think uh, I'm really, that's <laughs> well, why I got you two together. You know, many of our major donors, whether they're individuals or they have family funds, give through the donor advised fund that Andy's talking about. And it's, it's easy for them, it's easy for the organization to receive those funds. It's been really beneficial to work with the Greater New Orleans Foundation. We're not uh, set up to receive stock donations, right. and so that's a way that's right. 
for a donor who is committed to supporting youth leadership in New Orleans can contribute to GrowDat without jumping through all the hoops that it would take to donate directly. Around the holidays or after a disaster, many of us reflect on how lucky we are and how we're going to do more to contribute to our community. For most of us, that translates into a one-time donation and maybe some lingering guilt over our unfulfilled intentions, which diminish as time goes by till we pretty much forget about it altogether. But for a few of us, like Mike Cantor and Andy Coplin, those good intentions become good deeds. And they're not just occasional, they're the reason to get up in the morning. Mike and Andy, you're both making an enormous difference in the New Orleans community. You make life better for many people you affect directly, but beyond them, your selfless work makes the city a better place for the rest of us too. On behalf of us, thank you both for everything you do and thank you both for taking the time and joining me in Out to Lunch today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Peter. My guests in Out to Lunch today have been Mike Cantor, Interim Director of GrowDat Youth Farm, and Andy Coplin, President and CEO of the Greater New Orleans Foundation. You can find out more about Mike's farm and Andy's foundation by following the links in our websites. It's neworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher today is Ann Christian. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and these are good-looking, nice, good people, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans' Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and by Sure Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week.